All right, it's time for the Successfully Unemployed Show. I'm Dustin Heiner, and I'm here to help you learn how to quit that J-O-B, that just overbroke job, by any means possible. That being an entrepreneur, by being a side hustle expert, by being a freelancer or an investor or anything like that. And today, I'm super excited to have somebody who is going from military to being a millionaire. And we're going to walk through how he uses real estate, online businesses, and multiple streams of income to actually provide for himself and his family without working that J-O-B. All right, let's start the show. Welcome to the Successfully Unemployed Show, the place where ordinary people become extraordinary by finding the path to financial freedom through entrepreneurship, side hustles, and passive income. We've already blazed the path, showing you how to retire early and have financial independence so you will never work for someone else again. And now, here's your host, Dustin Heiner. Hey, what's up, guys? I am so glad that you're here with me listening to the podcast so that we're hopefully getting some information to you so that you can understand that there are so many ways to quit your job. Now, as you think about it, when you're working on a day-to-day basis for somebody else, you're really just working to make somebody else more money than they're paying you. See, your boss is only giving you enough money to keep you from quitting but at the same time, working and then not taking money out of their pocket. So they don't want you to quit, but they'd also want to pay you enough that you're actually worth. You are worth so much more than anybody can ever pay you. And I know that for a fact because every single person that's employed, you would not be employed if you were losing your boss money. It is so amazing seeing how many people are changing their life because they're finding out different ways to make money that fits them, their personality, their lifestyle, and everything that they want. Everybody has a different passion, a different desire, even different experiences and talents and gifts. And so what we're trying to do here at Successfully Unemployed is literally show everybody that they can become successfully unemployed. They just need to find the right tool. And I'm super excited to have my show where I'm bringing on somebody who went from military to being a millionaire by investing in real estate. Now, I actually love investing in real estate. I want to get you investing absolutely for free. If you text the word rental to 33777, I'm going to give you my real estate investing course absolutely for free. You're going to download it. Again, rental to 33777. Show you how to find properties, how to fund the properties, how to do it right, how to not lose money, how to buy the right property, and make sure you're making a minimum of $250 a month in passive income from every single property. Because if you had one property, that's $250 a month. That's $3,000 a year in passive income. If you had 10 properties, that is $30,000 a year in passive income. If you had 20 properties, that's $60,000 a year without doing a thing. I guarantee your life would be absolutely changed if you had 20 rental properties or even just one. Getting $3,000 extra a year is fantastic. Now, today we're going to be talking to David Perret from Military to Millionaire. He is showing us how to invest in real estate so we can quit that J-O-B. All right, let's do this. David Perret, thank you so much for being on the show. Thanks for having me on the show, Dustin. I appreciate it. Okay, it's been yeah, a long time yeah. coming. We, oh, we, talk, we talked about this like a question. year ago, and it's I was so like, cool. oh, I'm going to get to be on that show someday. I'm not quite there yet. So this is exciting. And successful now. You are absolutely just, it's fantastic. I'm so glad to have you on the show now because we have experts like you who've already done it. So David, how do you make money to provide for yourself and your family without working a J-O-B, that just overbroke job? The main way I do that is through real estate investing or talking about real estate investing through like YouTube and stuff like that, but mostly the actual real estate. I kind of do everything else just to fund real estate 
so that I can live off my real estate. I love it. I, I, absolutely. Like every bit of money that I make, like if I sell something on eBay, I save that money to buy more real estate because that's where I make and keep more money. And I could literally give it to my kids. So, okay. So that is fantastic. Now, what were you doing before and what led you into the path where you are now, where you can be successfully unemployed with real estate and that those nerves that are like, okay, I'm going to actually quit. Talk to us about that process. Yeah. So I spent 13 years in the Marine Corps active duty and I'm transitioning into the reserves in about a month. The big catalyst for that about six years ago, I was, you know, as broke as can broke can be. I was negative net worth. I had a little bit of money in my thrift savings plan and a whole lot more debt on depreciating assets like sports cars and motorcycles. Oh, and, and, you know, plenty of the military investments in alcohol and tattoos, the normal. And, uh, Somebody handed me the book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. They were actually trying to get me into uh, Amway, like multi-level marketing. Oh. Um, and they failed <laughs> because they handed me Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And I was like, ooh, real estate sounds awesome. I don't need this other stuff. Yeah, it is what it is. So I I uh, did the whole uh, house hack thing. I, I learned about house hacking. So I bought a duplex. I lived in one half. I rented the other half. And it, I had been paying about five fifty a month for renting a two bed, one bath apartment. And by the time I was done with this, this is in Missouri, super cheap. By the time I was done with this, I was paying about 130 a month to own a duplex. And then when I moved out, it started paying me about 300 bucks a month and I only put 4,000 in. So almost hundred percent return. I was like, wow, this is easy. This is so cool. And I hired a property manager. So I don't even have to deal with my knucklehead tenants. This is great. Uh, and then I just was like, okay, well, I'm going to slowly save up for the next one. Uh, my next investment was about a year and a half, two years later, it was a 10 unit. Um, kind of an accident. I was looking for a duplex the guy was like, well, I don't want to sell you that, but I have this thing. That's been a great property. And then at some point in there, I sold my sports car and I remember making a post like one day this will be, I can buy a much nicer vehicle because of what I will do with this. Um, you fast forward from just about five and a half years now from my first investment, sitting at about 98 doors that I own either a hundred percent of 50% of, or some of them 33% of, but they're all at least controlling entities uh, in all of it. And it cash flows very well. And then I have some other things that I do online that, you know, pay me as well. And uh, it was just, I was coming up, I was actually really nervous for the last year about whether or not I was going to be able to walk away from the military. And then with the pandemic happening, I really knuckled down on a whole lot of stuff. And then all my real estate went up in value and I started marketing more. And within the last six months, it's gone from, I don't know what's going to happen when I exit the military to like, okay, well, now I'm going to hire an assistant. I'm going to bring in an acquisitions manager. I'm going to scale this. I think I'm going to hire a writer. Like, you know, we'll figure out what happens, but we're still in the green. So let's go. Uh, so it's been a, been a crazy year. And what's great also when you have real estate, the longer you hold on to it, the more money you make because rents go up. Like a lot of my properties, like they've gone up like two or $300 in rent since I first bought it. That's just that much more money in my pocket every single month. And so David, you're, I mean, you're, I remember when we first met, you were, I think you had a few properties, maybe, I don't know, maybe a dozen or give or take. When we were thinking about starting investing, you said you started with a duplex. Let's, if I wanted to, I didn't have any properties and I thought, you know what, there's, there's wholesaling where you, you know, you find a seller and you find a buyer and you put them together and you make a little commission, kind of like a realtor. There's flipping houses, there's tax liens, there's a lot of different ways to do it, like seller financing, all that sort of stuff. What would you say, if we want to get started investing in real estate, how should we, or which... Is there a certain strategy? Like, where should we get started? That's a good question. And I mean, as with all good questions, the answer is it really depends on your personal situation, right? If you're a super successful doctor, surgeon, lawyer with a whole lot of money who thinks real estate's a good place to put your money and you have no time, 
then that answer might be, hey, invest with some other people so you don't have to do anything, but you still reap a lot of those benefits. But if you're a normal guy like me or or you or whoever who's who's working a W-2 and money is more the problem and uh, than anything else and you have a little bit of hustle and may, maybe you have some time or or maybe you just have hustle if you're me because I did not have time, but I found it. For those of you who don't know, the last year that I worked, to put in perspective, I, I worked in a secret vault uh, with no windows, no cell phones, um, no personal email, nothing and from like seven in the morning to like five at night. So like there's time in there, but it's not like I'm sitting there like, oh, let me send an email and let me look on Zillow on my phone. Like it, it was it was time at six in the morning or five in the morning or four in the morning or night, you know, whatever weekends. All that being said, I think the duplex, triplex, fourplex, the house hack is my absolute favorite thing. And you can do it in single family too, but the idea that you can Use a primary residence mortgage, which is the best fixed rate long-term debt you're going to get on any asset anywhere, especially right now. And then you can buy a house that you need a place to live anywhere. And it's actually your, for most people, not house hackers, for most people, it's your biggest expense too. So you can buy a house with a great interest rate, great mortgage, great whatever that you're going to live in and then rent out the other units and have someone else paying your mortgage. So you've now got this awesome rate. You've cut your biggest expense for living, your mortgage, depending on the market, you might be able to cash flow a little bit while you live in it. But if nothing else, your tenants are paying your mortgage payment down and you're saving all this other money to invest. You're learning how to deal with tenants. You're learning how the business works. It's not as scary because people get scared with the idea of investing. Well, everybody buys a home. So buying a home is not nearly as scary and people aren't going to try to talk you out of it, like buying a house 2000 miles away, like I did. So there's like all these benefits to it. But then when you move out, that thing is going to keep paying you and you can do it again. I mean, I have so many friends who did this like two or three times and then now they live in their own house and they're able to just buy whatever because those are paying for their investments and it just snowballs. So that's my favorite strategy for somebody looking to get started because it's it's way easier than the other strategies and it gets rid of your biggest expense so you can pay off debt or you know spend money to invest. So it sounds like that house hacking is obviously a great way to get into it. Now, you said there are some people that did this a couple, two or three times or more. So is it possible to house hack into one house and then house hack into another, then house hack into another? Is that a possibility? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And you can do it. You may not be able to do it with the same loan always. Like as a, as a service member, we have some pretty sweet benefits where you can oh, yeah, use you VA, <laughs> yeah, you can use the, the VA, VA loans. Loan. You can do it for zero down. And then if you move to another duty station, as long as you have some entitlement left, you can do it again for zero down. And if you don't have some, if you don't have entitlement left, you can refi the first one into a conventional loan and then use the VA loan zero down. So I have a friend who has bought four duplexes or triplexes with the VA loan all for zero down over the last like seven years. Um, now that's not that's the typical, those are cheaper markets. So he doesn't cap out his entitlement, but I also have a friend who bought a $1.9 million duplex on Venice beach for zero down. <laughs> um, and he rented the other half. And so he's still coming out of pocket, like two or $3,000 a month. But his housing allowance is two or three thousand dollars a month, so he's basically paying the same amount he would be to live anywhere in that area. But his tenant is paying like almost thirty five hundred dollars a month down on his mortgage principal every single month, and he's on Venice Beach. Like you know, a one percent appreciation ratio will will. I mean, it's kind of a crazy deal. But he's also a young officer in the Air Force and. All he has to do is hold on to that thing and he's going to be you know, loaded 30 years from now. And I don't foresee that. He's living in one area. side, right? Mm -hmm. And renting out the other. So yeah. when he moves out, he'll be making that much 
more because he's yeah. renting out the other side. Is that correct? Yeah, it'll probably cash flow around fifteen hundred to two thousand dollars a month, which for a you know people say two million dollar investment, that's not a great return. But you know, you got to factor in thirty five hundred dollars a month in principal pay down, and the fact that like that area right next to Santa Monica is you know one of the most appreciating markets in the country. And I don't like to bank on appreciation, but assuming it kept going up at even five percent, which is less than it's done for the last few you know years or decades, um, even at a five percent increase, that's a that's almost a hundred thousand uh, dollar increase in value every year just for owning it. So I mean that's that's nuts. Yeah, there's some some pretty. I mean that's like the high end you know scenario. But yeah, you can keep doing this. I I did it with an FHA loan. I'm doing it right now with a conventional loan. Uh, I haven't used my VA loan yet just because of the timing of where I ended up, but I'm going to do that for my next one. Um, all kinds of crazy options for house hacking. And I, I was just staying with a friend who's on his fourth in Denver. Um, and you know, he's like, yeah, I could move out of this one and they could all pay for my investments, but I live for free and it's a nice house. So oh, let's keep going down the path of the, the house hacking because we can, de- that also translates into single family homes, or even if you're like, if you're in the military, you buy a house, you're stationed there for, let's say, a year or two years, and then you have to move to another place. Well, a lot of things that – it might be scary for a lot of people to not be close enough to drive to the house. How do we make sure if we have to move away that our houses are, number one, taken care of, number two, we're making rents, number three, they're not destroying our property, number four, that that you know somebody's not stealing money from us like a property manager – What's the process to make sure that we have a secure property for that or it's going to be making us money without us actually being there? My answer is simple. Hire a good property manager. Problem solved. Uh, that's what I did. That's what I've done. That's what I tell everyone to do. I don't have the personality to deal with tenants. Now, I have some friends who are very, very good with this. I have a buddy who's got properties in North Carolina, San Diego, and Texas, and he manages them all himself. And he's got, I don't know, 8, 10, 12 doors now. Uh, his claim to fame is he's never had more than a two week vacancy. He's very good at turning over, doesn't have any issues. And he basically uses like simple, simple checklists, uh, videos for check in, check out and pays a friend like 25 to 50 bucks to show the unit to somebody. And then has his friend go through and do the check in with them and the checkout with them to make sure the property still looks good. Uh, so it's absolutely manageable on your own. For me, I, I just recommend that you hire a professional because it's like, absolutely, you know, they take eight to 12% off the top and you don't have to deal with anything. I have, uh, I mean, I mentioned, you know, 98 doors right now, granted 40 of those are a hotel. So that's a little different, but ex- excluding that. So we'll say 58, whatever that is that are managed by my property manager. And I might talk to her for, I might deal with it for like three hours a month, maybe, I mean, on a bad month. And that's like, Hey, your sewer line ruptured. We got a few quotes, you know, or, Hey, somebody died in your property and we've got to like do all this other crazy stuff. Like that's worst case scenario. Normally the, like the amount of interaction that I have with my actual rental properties is open buildium on like the fifth of each month and look at my report from the last month and then text her if I have a question. Awesome. And buildium is a software that you're talking about that Houses everything, correct? Correct. That's what my property manager uses. And so I can go in there. I can see every report. I can click on things if I have questions, whatever. And if I have like a, hey, why is this unit still vacant? I can text her and there's usually a really good answer. And I've been at it now for five and a half years. The amount of time I save by paying that person and the amount of headache I save is 100% worth it. There are way more valuable things for you to do with your time than change air filters and yell at tenants about smoking inside or whatever. Everything, like literally everything. And so- 
what somebody might be thinking, they might be hearing, oh man, I, I need to pay a property manager. Or if I buy a house, I need to pay my insurance. I need to pay my taxes. Well, as I try to share with everybody who is going to be doing this is we don't pay, like you and I, David, we don't pay our property managers. We don't pay our taxes. We don't pay our insurance. We don't pay to fix up the property. We don't pay any of that stuff. Our tenants pay for every bit of that because we account for that in our expenses before we buy the property. So we make sure that our tenants are paying for it. Now, they're not literally writing the check to the property manager, insurance, tax, all that sort of stuff. But we make sure that's coming out of their pocket as opposed to ours. So, Dave, you said something. I, we, you said it very quickly. And my brain's like, oh, my goodness. It sounds very simple. Is it simple to just find a good property manager? My experience is yes, but that's not the right answer. I got lucky and I acknowledge that. So what what I did and what I, I and I, not to plug my own stuff, I have an article on this with like a whole list of questions because what I did was well, I found- please plug away, but people need to learn this stuff. I Googled all over and I came up with like seven or eight different lists of like questions to ask property managers. And then I kind of compiled it into like a list of 20 questions that I thought mattered. And this is Nick, the, like I had no idea what I was doing. I had- two months of property management experience. That was enough for me because I got sick of my tenants knowing I owned the place. And I was like, nope, oh, yeah. never again. Um, <laughs> so, and then we were, we were getting stationed in this really rough country uh, state called Hawaii. Um, and I was Ooh, like, oh man, I got to go suffer for a while. So yeah. So I compiled this list of questions. I interviewed three property managers. One, they were fine. Another one had like this super high end office. He walked me around, introduced me to everyone, had a cute secretary, you know, nice layout, like very professional. Everything looked great. And then, and this is, that's the trap that I think people fall into. The other one, the one that I actually hired was like working out of the back office of an apartment complex that they managed. And it was her and I think her daughter and they were like two months into the business. Thank goodness for all these questions about experience and insurance and fees. And, and the final piece of this puzzle is you take a copy of your contract that you'll sign with your property manager home. And you actually read the stupid thing because what I didn't know at the time was she had 35 years of experience as managing properties for a construction company and had just gone solo. So she might've been two months into the game, but she had a ton of experience. This other company was super flashy and they had a great system and everything was great. But as I'm reading through their uh, agreement, it's like, hey, we're going to take the full first month's rent for marketing and we're going to take 10%. But then we're also going to, that's a, that we're going to take the 10%, whether it's rented or not, because we still have like, because we're still working to fill the vacancy. And I'm like, oh, the hell you are. If you don't have a tenant in my place, you're not taking any money. You take money when it's rented. I'm not incentivizing you to not rent my If I'm not getting paid, you're not getting paid. That's your job is to make me money. If you're not making me money, you're not making a dime. Absolutely. So I went with, I went with Jerry and she's been a godsend. I mean, she's grown and the really cool thing there is that I got her when she was new. So I pay 7%, which is awesome. Does she manage all one, like over a hundred, like almost a hundred doors for you? Yeah. They've grown quite a bit over the years and I've been trying to grow right along with them. In fact, I've brought her a couple customers who have similar portfolios to me now and they're all, you know, the, all of them are doing well. So they've, they've grown accordingly. So it, it was a really good investment, uh, working with her. Um, I don't know that there's any real takeaway to that other than, read through the lease and actually know what you're getting into and don't judge the book by its cover because the best property manager is probably not the one with the super expensive flashy office. I 100% agree with all of that. And I've even found that I interview, I personally interview and I teach all my students how to interview over like four to five to six different property managers. Because if you just go with one or two, that's not bad. One is definitely is bad. But if you go with two, that's not bad. But you want to have as many people on your 
radar as possible because if somebody drops off, you have other people to keep continuing to talk to. Or if one is like, you, you're like, this one's standing out over everyone. I've talked to everybody over and over again, but this one's sounding great. It, it's it's a better way to actually find the right person because having a, a wrong a bad property manager. In fact, my first property manager literally stole thousands of dollars from me. You know, making up fake expenses, um, sending fake receipts, all that sort of stuff. I fired her as fast as I you know realized this was going on. But finding a good property manager is vital. You absolutely have to do that. Now, David, it sounds like as you've grown and scaled your business, now you have almost a hundred doors. Now you have property managers that manage it, which is great. But the hardest part is financing like how do you get the money to actually do this because one you could buy one the va loan at zero percent down which is great or an fha loan three and a half percent down to buy your first property that's great but once you run out of those exhaust all those options of you know a, a regular conventional loan or you maybe you have the ability to borrow some money from like your parents or something like that how do you continue to scale your bit or grow and buy more properties with limited finances that's a good question. Uh, and that's, I mean, that is exactly why I bought the first duplex. And it was like a year and a half before I bought the second property because I didn't have the money, right? It was finding the the down payment, getting my finances in check, whatever. Um, a few things I've learned. Uh, that one is that resident, residential mortgages are the devil. Um, I just did one and I forgot how miserable this experience was. It is insane the crap that they care about for whether or not you can qualify for a loan. So the faster you can move to either having the down payment or finding a good lender and some private money or whatever, um, and getting into like commercial debt, we it, it's crazy to me. We bought a three hundred thousand dollar, three fifty whatever this house that's a house with like a basement downstairs that I turned into an office. You know the amount of stuff that they required for this loan is such a headache, terrible process, and then like two weeks, three weeks prior to going under contract on this house, we bought like $2.3 million worth of properties, like two apartments, a hotel and a single family. And that lender's like, you guys got 15% down. Okay. And it's like, yeah, does it matter where it comes from? Nope. As long as I get it. Okay. Like we didn't even, (laughs) the funds hit his bank account like three days after closing. Like just, they don't care. It's great. So I would find a I would find a super local bank for one. Um, I've got a guy in town who does fifteen percent down, and he'll do twenty five year amortizations, fixed rates. I mean, no balloon payments. Um, some pretty sweet terms, which allows me to you know. I mean, I wouldn't have been able to buy the two point three million uh, even with I brought two partners in and we all threw a hundred grand down, and that still wouldn't have been possible if we had to throw twenty five percent in. Um, but we, but you know, we went fifteen percent down, but we also bought them significantly undervalued, so we still have great equity, great, you know, great leverage, no big deal. Um, so that that's one thing is a good like local bank relationship that you build and improve over time because they will give you good terms. They will hook you up for being a recurring customer. They will hook you up for bringing them business. Um, another piece is as you grow this, uh, for one, you'll snowball the capital as your cash properties cash flow, you'll have money from that that you can reinvest. For two, you talk to people about what you're doing and you network and you just get to know people in your area. And eventually you'll have private lenders. I've had two or three properties in the last year that I bought cash where someone else wired the money in. And then I flipped them or, or burred them or, you know, did, did whatever refinanced, whatever, and gave them their money back. And I still have the property or I sold the property. Um, and I never had a penny in the deal. And then the next level above people who are willing to invest with you, whether as a partner or just lend you the money at a fixed rate, uh, the next level above that 
is actual investors and that I, I have a love hate with that. I've done a big deal where I brought investors in deals fine, but the obligation to investors is not as much fun for me as like this hotel deal. The reason like that's a perfect example. That was 2.3 purchase price, probably worth three and a half or four. Um, great cash flow, great cap rates. Like everything about that purchase is solid. Would have been able to raise the money, you know, in a, probably in a single email for that deal. Didn't just called two friends and said, do you want in on this? Because I would much rather do a deal with some friends than an investor. So there's, there's ups and downs to that. I mean, the real answer is you find people who have the money, not the time, like the doctor lawyer that we talked about earlier, and you make them investments that make them money. And, you know, they have the money to fund your investments and you both win. I'm hundred percent with you. So all the properties that I have, I literally own myself as opposed to getting other investors. Cause I've tried that and it's just a lot, not necessarily much more work in set. Cause it's still work. But at the same time, it was more of like, oh, they're friends of mine. They get on a call with them like, oh, man, now we got to talk about business. Like, I'd rather just talk to you as a friend. Or you have other investors that are investing with you. Then you got to split the profits, all that sort of stuff. And, you know, if it's a way to it, it is a great way to grow your business. But if you could buy it and own it yourself or be you know the principal owner and then maybe having loans where you pay back loans like private money, that's a fantastic. I love being the absolute owner of all my properties. Now, David, there's two things that usually most people come up with. In their brain. So the first one, and the reason why, like the two things that come up, reasons why they shouldn't invest. Number one, buying a money pit or buying a bad property. And number two, what about those, um, you know, getting bad tenants that destroy your property? You might have a good property manager, but if you have a bad tenant in there that destroys your property, oh no, then the world's going to end, which I understand that. Now, talk about those two things. So first of all, let's hammer down. How do we make sure we buy a good property that's not going to actually be a money pit or be some bad property that we're not going to be able to make money from? The correct answer for people who are new to this game is buying a good location where you would want to live, where you would want to own newer properties that don't look like they have a lot of maintenance. The answer that I would actually give most people is throw that all out the window and just buy it so cheap that it doesn't matter. Find your own deals and who cares? Like, to put this in perspective, I bought a house for twelve thousand dollars earlier this year. It needs thirty, forty thousand, fifty thousand, maybe, maybe on a you know worst case scenario, sixty, seventy thousand dollars worth of work. Maybe it's worth one twenty fixed up. If I put a hundred thousand dollars into that, I'm still not underwater. So like, eh, can't really lose. I could bulldoze <laughs> it, build new, and I would still be good. So, and that's you know I kind of joke about that, but the reality is, I just kind of got to this point. I don't do a whole lot of big renovation properties at this point, because I've just had some pretty wonderful experiences with contractors that, uh, and then right now with the cost of materials, I'm kind of enjoying the, the lipsticks. I'll find something where the property is, you know, there's just something that was missed. Maybe it's listed as a two bedroom, but it's a three, maybe it has really bad photos. Maybe it's me doing off market deals and I'm finding a landlord who's really just sick of having a property or it's been vacant for seven years or, you know, the, the one that we got for 12,000 husband died. He had been managing it. Tenant moved out. It was a hoarder house. They hadn't touched it in four years. So it was gross, but it was gross just because someone left trash all over the place. The property itself was in great shape other than like, you know, paint it, rip out cabinets. I mean, typical like lipstick stuff structurally completely fine. The roof was only like six years old. It was just, you know, she had no idea how to manage it. Didn't want to mess with it wanted to get rid of it. She owed like 10,000. So she was like, if I can get 12 on it, I'm happy. I love buying properties off of people like that, by the way. People that 
don't know what they're doing and they do it wrong and they get so fed up. They're like, just take it. I'm like, yes, please. Absolutely. So, I mean, the best answer is to just make sure you're, I mean, the money's made when you buy. So buy, buy super affordably. I have a really weird experience, I think, as a landlord so far, knock on wood, um, no, like absolute apocalyptic tenants, but I've had two die physically in I've had one like old age died like an August two years ago and like the fifth or sixth day of the month and rotted until somebody realized that he didn't pay oh. September's rent because he was like no family. So we had to like keep his stuff in a storage unit for 90 days to see if anyone was going to claim it. We had to get him cremated. We had, I mean, we had to do the full thing, bring in oh. biohazard to clean it out. That was like a $4,800 move out expense on a tenant who was paying 500 bucks a month because he, you know, he was under market because he was one of the tenants we inherited. Um, I've also in the most more recently, I've also had somebody decide that uh, no like nice way to say this. So the the like jerk Marine Corps don't really care about sensitive subjects parts going to come out. And uh, he decided that <laughs> lead would Please make do, a great breakfast. Yeah. Shotgun lead, great breakfast, um, you know, so they went in because he didn't pay rent and two crazy deaths that were both could catastrophically messy both about three to seven thousand dollars in when you're all said and done in turnover but i've not had like the trashed you know destructive super vindictive tenants i've had evictions i've had you know we will have a sheriff here to pull your crap out in fact i had that on a primary res the house that we actually live in right now when we moved back from hawaii it was like this would be the house like we're ready to move in and we can't perfect thanks guys um so to answer your question, though, on the tenants thing, um, stuff's going to happen. But I mean, the best thing I can tell you, aside from just hire a property manager to take care of all of it, because that's what I did, is look for personality trait stuff. I once heard someone say, make sure that you meet them at their car when they pull up to look at the house, because if their car is trashed, their house probably is too. It hits home to me because I have some pretty messy friends in their car and their house usually looks the same. So <laughs> if they're okay living in their own fifth filth while driving, they're probably going to be okay living in their own filth while in your house. So uh, little things like that, right? And then if their stories about previous landlords all involve how, uh, how unhelpful he was or how miserable it was to deal with them, uh, that might be true, but more often than not, it's probably because they were, there was a reason they were under fire. You know, if they won't answer questions directly or if they have an excuse for everything. I mean, I literally just have a normal conversation and if they're like whiny with me, then nope, sorry. Like clearly like, yeah, I'm looking for people who can be accountable for their own actions in life, right? Like I want the tenants who are like, if, if I have an affordable place, I want a tenant who wants to live in an affordable place because they're trying to save money and be frugal, not because they're broke and have nothing going for them. Yeah, I know what you mean. And I, I love having people who are responsible in my property, especially military. Like, if you get somebody that's in the military, most likely they have a little bit more uh, responsibility, but then they also have a commanding officer that you can get that information and then call them up. Hey, your tent or your, your, uh, uh, service member, he, they're not paying the rent. What are you going to do about it? Okay. I'll get on it. <laughs> That's what I, That's the win, right? There are some gross service members out there, but their command does not want to know about it. And if you call them, they will fix the problem very quickly. Is there anything else we might've missed anything, any, uh, ideas that we should, uh, as we're starting to invest in real estate, buying and holding properties, is there anything else that we should know? I think the biggest piece is just get around other people who are investing, right? Like read books, learn what you're doing and get around other people who are doing it because it's going to seem a little scary. And I would just, and I caution people on this with everything, but especially with real estate, don't take advice about it from people who aren't already successful with it. When I first started buying houses, luckily 
I had tried a few entrepreneurial things and I'd always had people tell me they were really dumb ideas. And I didn't really have that with real estate. A lot of people were kind of like, oh, okay, yeah, I could see that. Um, but I mean, a lot of people get talked out of buying real estate by family members who call it a risk or whatever. And I just, you know, when I'm telling people or coaching people or talking to people about it, I'm like, okay, cool. Well, how many rentals do they own? Oh, okay. Well, then how about you listen to somebody who does? Exactly. Like, do you want their financial situation? Like, would you swap places with them right now? Because if not, then maybe you should do what somebody you would swap places with is doing. That's awesome. Okay. Let's, let's jump into the rapid fire round. Now the rapid fire round, the questions are short, but your answers don't have to be okay. I know you're a Marine, so you're, you're ready. Okay. So let's do this. First question is what is one bit of advice that you would give your younger self? It could be whatever age, you know, younger self that you've learned now. And I want to share it to my younger self. What would it be? Don't buy depreciating assets. Sports cars and Harleys are awesome, but you could buy it used and it would still be awesome. Or you could buy something that goes up in value. Uh, the amount of money I spent, I mean, I left Okinawa as a young service member. I'd spent two years there, including a deployment, you know, tax to free, tax free income while in Afghanistan and between tattoos, a Harley and booze, I had nothing to show. And I remember coming back from there and going, wow, where'd all that money go? Cause you get paid more for being in Japan. And I couldn't point to where it had gone, blow your money on something that's going to either have a return or, or don't blow your money until you know what to do with it. I like to also think of it like, I collect houses. That's what I do. I just love collecting them because they make me a lot of money. All right. So what is one nonfiction book that you would recommend to us? You already said Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Would that be it or would it be another book that you you recommend? I Rich Dad, Poor Dad is a good one. If you're looking to get into real estate, I would just read How to Invest in Real Estate. Brandon Turner, Josh Dorkin wrote it. There's a lot of good books about real estate out there. That one's like the most geared towards like a new investor who doesn't even know what strategy they want to follow yet. I think that's a good place to start because that'll kind of lead you down a rabbit hole of like, oh, well, now I want to invest in rental properties and you can read Dustin's book or now I want to do house flipping and you could read a book by Jay Scott or I think this is all stupid and I want to, you know, save all my money and you could read a book about saving all your money. I mean, you know, I think that's a good place to start just because it helps. It'll help you answer what strategy works for you. It's different for everyone's goals. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I completely agree. Okay. So what is one tool or one app that you use on a regular everyday day-to-day basis? Could be a piece of paper and a pencil, could be a camera that you use for a YouTube channel. What would it be? I use a ton um, the one that has probably been the smallest change to my life, but has created a very good return, uh, is the app mile IQ. And it literally just sits on my phone and it tracks when I drive. And every time I get somewhere, it tells me swipe left. If it's a personal drive, swipe right. If it was a business drive it costs like five bucks a month. And it saved me like three or $4,000 last year in tax write-offs. So yeah, so simple. I love that. And, What's it called? Mile IQ. Yeah. Mile IQ. And it, literally just tracks while you're driving so that at the end of the year, it sends you this fancy little report. You hand it to your CPA and you say, Hey, being able to, you know, know, like track the exact mileage and dollar amount and where you were and where you were going. I mean, I never wrote off my mileage before and now I write off, you know, a couple thousand dollars every year in mileage. So that's, that's great. That's great. Yeah. As we start making more money, we need to figure out ways to actually keep as much of it as possible. And uncle, uncle Sam or uncle Biden wants to take as much as he wants, as he can. Okay. So you've given us so much great advice. I know somebody's going to want to reach out to you. How would they be able to find you? Like if they want to read your book or listen to your podcast, how would they find you? Best way to do it is just to Google military millionaire. I will pop up. I've got a 
podcast, YouTube, Facebook group. Instagram is the best way. If you want to actually talk to me, you shoot me a message on Instagram. I check that almost daily. Yeah. If you just Google military millionaire, I'll pop right up. It's the, uh, if you're, if you're listening to this without video, it's the Marine who has a really gnarly mustache. Awesome. Mustache. That's, that's, <laughs> that's the thing that I remember about you most. So, all right, David, Beret, thank you so much for being on the show. I really appreciate your time. Thanks brother. I appreciate being on the show. Today's episode has been brought to you by the Real Estate Wealth Builders Membership. That's the membership that I founded teaching people how to quit their J-O-B by investing in real estate rental properties. Now, Real Estate Wealth Builders is your place to learn how to invest in real estate with five different masterclass courses group coaching with me and a private student community where we all work together, all the tools and the discounts, all the resources and everything that you need to quit your J-O-B by investing in real estate. Now, I do want to show you how to do this completely for free. If you want to learn about investing in real estate for free, I want to get you my free real estate investing course. Go to masterpassiveincome.com forward slash free course. It'll be in the description, masterpassiveincome.com forward slash free course. You can see how you can quit your job, that J-O-B, by investing in real estate. I'll show you how to find properties, how to use other people's money to buy properties, and how to scale the business to be successfully unemployed just like I did. Also, if you got anything out of the show, share it with just one person. Share it with just one person so that they can see the light that it is so much better to not work a job, be successful, unemployed, and be your own boss. All right, guys, this is it for today's show. I will see you next week. See ya. See ya.